doing? I couldn't stay away for very long because I want to know what happens next. So we're in part two, chapter four, and we're heading into part three. I don't really remember exactly what was going on before. Oh, the... Um, <laughs> the part with the Mr. Harton who um, was a vacuum salesman and then he sort of turned into a rooster or was acting like a rooster. That's where we left off. All right, here we go. Chapter four, spies. That night, the bone threw sheets on a row of saggy beanbag chairs, a bed for himself, and sheets on the orange, now less furry, sofa for Fern. Oh, it's less furry because they used Mr. Harton's um, vacuum cleaner. That's right. They lay down across the room from each other in the dark. Except for the occasional roar of a passing train, the apartment was quiet. There was a little slice of moonlight coming in through a crack in the curtains. Fern was writing in her diary as silently as she could. She had a lot to catch up on. She wrote about Milton Beige, Howard, The Bone, and Mary Curtin, the real Mary Curtin kitchen somewhere, and Marty, the fake Mary Carden. She wrote about the rooster man and the raw onion, and the orange, and the miser, and her mother, most of all her mother. She pulled the picture out, gazed at it, and then wrote, when I look at the picture of her, I mean really look, really stare right into her eyes, I feel like I know her. Sometimes I feel like we are thinking the same thing, or feeling the same thing, like our hearts miss each other. The bone started to hum a sad love song, and then he sang a few of the words. Sweet, sweet, my sweet darling, where have you gone? Where have you gone? The song made Fern want to cry. She put the picture back into the diary and closed it. She stared up at the ceiling, and a lump rose in her throat. When she coughed, hoping to clear it, the bone stopped singing. He coughed, too, as if embarrassed he'd been caught. Fern thought that maybe he'd thought she was asleep. Soon the Bartons will start clog dancing upstairs, the bone said. At least the rooster won't wake us up, Fern said. True. The bone let out an exhausted sigh. He said, your mother knew she wasn't going to make it. She just knew. She told me over the jail phone, looking at me through the plexiglass. I told her she was silly. She started me giving information about the book, where she'd leave it for me, a special spot, but I hushed her up. I said I didn't want to hear about it. She gave up talking about it. She gave up pretty easily, in fact. She didn't want to upset me. Or sometimes I think, maybe... What? Fern asked, propping herself up on her elbows. Maybe she was hatching a bigger plan. Your mother was tricky. She always had a way of getting what she wanted. What did she want when she was alive? Fern asked, now sitting up and staring at the bone through the weak light. Oh, I don't know. Really, Fern said, tell me. The bone thought out loud. What did she want? What did she really want? She wanted for me and the miser to be friends again, and I'd guess she'd have loved it if I'd, have, if I'd gotten along with her mother. Fern hadn't thought about this before. She had a grandmother. This took her by surprise. She wanted to meet her grandmother now. She had to. The bone went on. But her mother is a loon, I tell you. C-R-A-Z-Y. She runs a boarding house but truly lives in a world of books, and I mean that very seriously. I never got along with the old woman. Fern stopped listening now. She was starting to understand something. Her mother was a plotter. She had a plan. She was smart. She wanted the bone and the miser to be friends again. 
Byrne guessed that her mother felt responsible for the two cutting ties, for coming between them, maybe. And she wanted the bone to become close to her mother. Well, of course, she loved those two people. Now that Fern knew what her mother wanted, she had to think of how her mother would use the book to get it. Her mother knew the future, that she was going to die, but how far into the future could she see? Did her mother know that one day Fern would be here trying to piece it all together? Fern was on her feet now, pacing. It helped her think. What is it? the bone asked. Fern didn't answer because she hadn't really heard him. She was thinking of her mother's heart and her own, her mother's mind and her own. How would Fern's mother use the book to bring all these people together? The miser, the bone, Fern's grandmother, and maybe even Fern herself. Wasn't she part of the puzzle? Did this plan of her mother's rely on Fern? Fern paced some more. One thought turned to the next and the next, and finally she knew where the book would turn up. There was only one logical spot. The one place that Fern was most drawn to, the one place where they would all wind up. Well, that's it then, Fern said. That's what, the bone asked. The book is at her mother's house. Fern said, oh, she said it loudly. The book is at her mother's house, Fern said loudly. What? You're joking. No. And now she jogged over to the windows and yelled it. The book is at Eliza's mother's house. She yelled it again, just because she liked being allowed to yell. The book is at Eliza's mother's house. If no one's sleeping, you can go ahead and yell that too. She pulled the curtain back quickly, and there on the other side of the window was a tiny pale face with a sharp nose. It was a small, little tiny man with a cup held to the window pressed to his ear. The air was big compared to the man's small head. Too big. He stared at Fern for a split second and then took off, running down the train tracks to a red van with gold lettering, too far away to read, a few other small men straggling after him. Spies, Fern said, and they heard it all. She was triumphant. Oh, because she wants the miser to know. Aha, she's helping with the plan. She let the curtain drop and turned to the bone, who was now standing up, his spine straight, his expression electrified. Why did you let them hear it? Why didn't you scare them off first? Simple, Fern said. How could you become friends with the miser again if he doesn't know the book is at her mother's? And how could you become close to my grandmother if the book isn't there? And how would I eventually know my grandmother at all if it isn't there? We've got to be there together. You see, Fern is quite smart. She isn't good at math camp, but she's bright, quick-witted. She'd never known that she was right before. She'd never had that strong conviction. But now she did, and she felt something else that was new. Stubbornness. Now that Fern knew she was right, there was no changing her mind. Stubbornness is very bad in someone who has only bad ideas, but it's very good in someone who has good ideas. Luckily, Fern is the smart kind of stubborn, and it can't be denied that Fern liked this plan especially because it would bring her to her grandmother, and Fern hadn't given up on the idea of finding a place that felt like home. Maybe she would find it there. Fern, Fern thought, in the house where her mother had grown up with the woman who'd raised her. The bone paced back and forth. No, no, Eliza wouldn't leave the book with her mother. She wouldn't do that to me. Her mother can't stand me. And now the miser, too? It's all wrong. All very, very wrong. I won't go. I won't do it. But Fern knew she was right. She knew she was very, very right. She looked at the bone with her big eyes, and she smiled. He sagged. And just then, from above, an accordion started up, happy, bouncy music, and the clogs set in like a hailstorm. Hailstones the size of clogs. <coughs> Excuse me. The bone stared up at the ceiling, then back at Fern, and Fern knew that the bone knew the only other option was to stay where they were. 
she knew she'd won. All right, are you ready for part three? It's called The House of Books, and that's where her grandmother lives. So there are gonna be a lot of references to books um, in this chapter, in these chapters is my guess. I think that's my memory of it. So you might wanna have a piece of paper handy so you can jot down the, when you hear something that sounds like a clue, you could jot down the clue, and if you know the book, you could jot that down too. So at the end of each chapter, I'll um, go over which ones I, I think were clues. All right, part three, chapter one, the nose. The bone was driving the old jalopy. That's a, the old car. Fern sat next to his suitcase in her own bag in the back seat where the seatbelt worked. The bone was giving instructions about the new identities he'd created for himself and Fern, but it was hard to concentrate on what he was saying because he turned himself into an encyclopedia salesman. He was wearing a name tag pinned to the lapel of a shabby green suit. Hello, my name is Mr. Bibb, sales associate. His hair, which had been a graying blonde puff, was flat, black, and looked shellacked, shiny as a Christmas ornament. Fern had pretended to be asleep in the morning while she listened to him humming in the low baritone he'd used with Mr. Harton. She heard him curse under his breath, and then he jeered, Yes, yes, that's it! Shortly thereafter, the house smelled of something sharp like paint. The smell reminded Fern of Mr. Drudger daubing and rubbing shoe polish into his loafers. Fern guessed that the bone had tried to become a different person through the magical transformations based on the art of being in anybody. He'd failed and resorted to faking it. Had he put shoe polish on his hair? Was that new bulbous nose made of rubber and glued on? And that smarmy little mustache? The sloppy old car made Fern feel seasick a queasiness that was aggravated by the watery sound of the Bones' new lisp, a Mr. Bibb trait he'd taken on. There were too many S's in everything. I'm Mr. Bibb, and you're Ida Bibb, my daughter, and we're just passing through for a few weeks. We need a room for just that much time. We're heading west to visit family. Just let me do the talking. When Fern came up with the plan to look for the book at her grandmother, she hadn't realized that she and the Bone couldn't show up at the, as themselves on her doorstep. No, no, the Bone had convinced her that they'd each have to go with somebody else. This was disappointing because Fern wanted to go to her grandmother's house to figure out if it felt like home. How could she do this if she was Ida Bibb? But I sometimes blurt out weird things when I'm nervous, Fern said. I do sometimes. My brain just rattles on like a train with too many cars, and then I found out I've said something that doesn't make sense. What can I do about it? I can't do much, can I? It dawned on Fern that she wasn't saying all of this in her head. She was saying it out loud, and that was a nice thing. Still, she was nervous, and she pulled three barrettes from her pocket to lock down her wild hair. Think of milk. Think of a big glass of milk. Stop talking and try to conjure the biggest, whitest, creamiest glass of milk you can, all beaded with drops of water. Try to make it clear in your head, like you could just reach into space and pick it up and drink it. Think of soup, cheese, lemons, apples, plums. That'll keep your brain occupied. Do you have to talk like that? Fern felt nauseous, and thinking about milk, soup, cheese, lemons, apples, and plums wasn't helping matters. Yes. I don't think she'll believe us. I don't think this will work, Fern said. You should just ask her for the book. Maybe she knows that she hasn't and will just hand it to you. Nothing further from the truth. That woman doesn't 
like me. She never did. Your mother told her that she'd reformed me, turned me into a real healer, a good guy. But her mother wouldn't have much to do with me. He doesn't even like to read, her mother would say, like that was the greatest sin in the world. The only good thing is that she didn't like the miser either. She didn't like either one of us. Do you like to read? I liked when your mother read to me. She read like a dream. I just have a feeling it's going to be strange for said. It will. I've got a bad feeling. Today's a good day, Fern. It's a very good day. Things are already looking up. They are? He pulled the car over on the grassy shoulder and stopped. Fern looked at the bone. He said, look. Look at my nose. What? He pushed the squat nose and pulled on it, then wiggled it around. It looked fat. Real. Completely attached. That there is the real McCoy fern, I tell you. I couldn't get any of the other stuff right, but the nose, that is a genuine nose. Fully transformed. I may be faking Mr. Bibb, but my nose isn't. It's the first time in a long time that I ever got any of it right. I was thinking of the great Rialdo. He's helped me once before when I was wooing your mother. I was thinking today the same way I was thinking all those years ago. I need your help. Just an inch of your great spirit. Help me, great Ronaldo. And it worked. He smiled. He reached behind and patted Fern on the head. It was a soft little pat, not a mushy pat, but it was just a little sweet. He sighed and looked out the French windshield. There's the house. He pointed down a long dirt driveway to a tall yellow farmhouse and a large red barn surrounded by fields. There was a sign dug into the dirt. Borders welcome. Must be tidy and well-read. Well-read means like that they've read a lot of books. <laughs> the bone gazed up at the house. He started humming the song Ferd had heard him singing the night before. Sweet, sweet, my sweet darling, where have you gone? Where have you gone? He put the car in gear and headed down the long, bumpy driveway. Fern stuck her head out the window. She stared at the house. She figured it looked like a place she could call home. It was hard to tell when she didn't know exactly what a place she could call home should look like. A wind kicked up, gusted. One of the shingles on the roof lifted in the breeze but didn't come off. Something white fluttered under the shingle. Just for a moment, a quick flipping of what seemed like pages. Was the roof made of books? The bone jerked the car to stop in front of the house. Dust rose up, then settled. No, no, it was just an ordinary house, Fern assured herself, with an ordinary roof. Dun, dun, dun. I don't think it's going to be ordinary. All right, you ready for chapter two? Whew. So there were no book references in that chapter. But now we're going to meet the grandma. <clears throat> Grandmother. Oh, this is chapter two, unexpected guests. I'm guessing that's them. Grandmothers. Ah, grandmothers. The world needs more of them, if you ask me. I'm quite nostalgic and overly sentimental about grandmothers. My own is a very short, yet gorgeous, and ample southern belle. Her house is filled with poodles, and she wears moo-moos year-round, drives only Cadillacs, and adores Liberace for his good taste. But Fern's grandmother isn't at all like my dear old granny. Fern had never met her real grandmother. She wondered what she would be like and if there would be any traces left in the house from her mother. Something, anything that would tell Fern more about her. Fern wondered what she could find. The bone was carrying their bags and Fern had the banged up umbrella. An old crumbly sidewalk that she hadn't noticed before ran from the street down the long driveway and ended right at the front door. 
It divided the thigh-high underbrush that rustled not too far away. Fern looked out at the tall grass and barbed weeds of the front yard. There were small boxes made of bricks sticking up here and there. They looked like chimneys, but on the ground and without smoke. Up the hill toward the main road, Fern thought she also saw some people, so, some windows peeking out of the ground and latticework. It was confusing, and Fern was too jittery to try and make sense out of it. She was wary now of unfamiliar front yards, since the last one had a rooster man in it, not to mention spies. The bone knocked at the paint chip door. The door, latched by a chain, opened just a bit. Two eyes swam up below the chain. That's what Fern noticed first. The eyes behind a pair of round glasses that made the big eyes look even bigger. In fact, the eyes seemed unconnected to a face, like two fish in a set of fish bowls. The eyes worried Fern. If Mr. and Mrs. Drudger thought Fern's big eyes were a deformity, what would they think of this pair? Fern thought of Little Red Riding Hood. Grandma, what big eyes you have! It wasn't a comforting association, as you can imagine. Big and blue, the eyes glowed like headlights on a Buick in the middle of the night. The rest of the faces slowly came into focus. A small, bony nose and pink, wrinkled mouth that was as small as a bow you'd paste on a poodle to make it look fancy. Fern narrowed her own eyes out of practiced manners. Who is it now? Can't be too careful. The old woman said this out loud, but it was the kind of thing that should have stayed in her head. The bone started in on the speech he'd practiced, his red nose bobbing. I'm Mr. Bibb, and this is my daughter, Ida. We've come for a room. Saw the sign. I sell encyclopedias. Well, don't just stand out there. Come in, come in, the fish-eyed woman said, unlatching the chain. When she looked past Burn, Fern and the bone to the yard, distracted by something she saw there and didn't like, she hobbled past them into the yard. Is that another little house they've dug? Blast it! She shook her head and hobbled back. Fern's grandmother was a small, arthritic old woman. She sagged and wheezed like an old accordion as she shuffled. She was bent over far, so far that it was as if she were looking up at the bone and Fern from the bottom of a hole. And Fern wasn't so tall herself. There was more rustling and then quiet. Well, the old woman said, looking at Fern and the bone impatiently, I didn't mind a few in my yard, just a few, but they've gotten so content over the years with their little routines and their manners. Edgy, uptight, always digging a new little house here and there, but they've come from a hard place, poor things. I don't like to upset them. Fern had no idea who she was talking about. Animals digging in yards? Was she saying that the brick stacks were in fact little chimneys? Was there some sort of little neighborhood built under the front yard? Fern was trying to be Ida Bibb, but she didn't really know Ida Bibb very well, so she didn't know exactly how she should act. She only knew that Ida Bibb wouldn't ask the woman if she'd had any children, a daughter, uh, for example, named something like Eliza, and what exactly she was like. No, Fern reminded herself, don't ask about that. You must be exactly like Ida Bibb. But then it dawned on Fern that her grandmother didn't know who Ida Bibb was any more than Fern did. For that matter, her grandmother didn't know Fern Drudger, and so Fern decided right then and there that she would be herself, except she wouldn't mention anything about daughters, her grandmother's daughter in particular. Fern knew that this would be hard, because the only thing she wanted to do was ask questions. Not being able to made Fern nervous, and when Fern feels nervous, the chatter begins in her head, followed by the occasional blurting. She was thinking, do you have gophers? I hear gophers are hard for a yard. Do you have groundhogs? 
They'll ruin a yard, too. That's what I've heard. I sure hope you don't have gophers or groundhogs. That would be a shame, and they'd ruin a garden. But she was blurting, too. Do you have a garden? Do you use weed killer? Do you mulch? Much to Fern's surprise, however, her grandmother didn't appear shocked by the blurting. She was listening intently. And so Fern continued on, thinking and blurting at the same time now. In fact, she was giving a lively speech. She went on talking about gophers and groundhogs and gardens for a good while. At one point, she wandered into the subject of being tender to a garden, raising it with love, like, uh, like, uh, but Fern did not say daughter. She said, well, like, it's a garden. That's all. And she forged on with talk of shrubbery. The dredgers and their neighbors often talked about lawns and yards and such, and although Fern had never seen either a gopher or a groundhog, both of which would have struck panic in her old neighborhood, she found herself unable to get off the track for fear of taking of talking about her own mother. Eventually, mercifully, she ran out of breath. And her grandmother said, Yes, dear, to question A, it's quite expansive, no to question B, and a few years back to question C. Never is the answer to question D, and so on, until the woman, quite incomprehensibly, had answered all of Fern's questions. But for some reason, it made fe- it quite incomprehensibly. Oh, incomprehensibly means that like she couldn't actually understand what the answers had been. For some reason, it made Fern feel much better. Did it make her feel at home? No, not really. She still didn't feel herself, but she did find her grandmother reassuring in a way that she couldn't explain. May I take your umbrella? Her grandmother asked. It looks like it's seen better days. Fern handed her the crumpled umbrella, and the old woman ushered them into into the parlor. Fern was anxious to see inside the house that she might be able to call home. And here she was. The room was lit with small reading lamps, and there were books everywhere, piled on the coffee table, under the coffee table, on the sofa, and under it, too. Books were stacked up the stairs and through the hall. Fern could see a small forest of books in the kitchen, books stacked on the table, the counters like dishes in the dish rack. The roll-top desk, not rolled up, seemed to be belching books. Books lined every wall so that you couldn't see the walls at all. In fact, a mirror had been hung over the books as if the wall were made of books, and the oil paintings which hung over the stacked books depicted books. One was a still life of a bowl, but it was almost as if the fruit that was supposed to be in the bowl had had been taken out and replaced with books. There were even books fitted in the rafters and hung in the hat rack's arms. This made it especially tricky for the old woman to find a spot to hang Fern's umbrella. Okay, pause. If you have not guessed it, I think this would be an amazing, amazing, amazing drawing because everything is books. Oh my goodness, you just, you have to draw it. So to, to review, there are books everywhere, including in piles, on a coffee table, under the coffee table, on the sofa, under it, stacked going up the stairs. And then in the kitchen, on the dish rack, like as if they were dishes, uh, everywhere, everywhere. If you want to hear more description, just just rewind and listen again. Please draw it. I really want to see drawings of this. Okay, so it made it especially tricky for the old woman to find a spot to hang Fern's umbrella. But she fussed with it this way and that, rearranging books until she had the umbrella hung 
and the books balancing just so. Now, it's an odd thing to go inside some people's houses. Have you ever been house hunting? That means like if you're going to buy a new house or move to a new house. Well, I bet you haven't because sometimes I forget how young you are, which is a compliment, meaning you seem so mature for your age. Let me explain. House hunting isn't as exciting as it sounds. There's no actual hunt. You don't hide out in the underbrush wearing camouflage and making noises like a house to lure the house into an open field. No, it's more like you go through house after house following around, um, following, oops, I lost my spot, following around some sharply dressed someone who smells very mouthwashy while they turn on and off light switches and ceiling fans, pointing out closet space while diverting your attention away from foundation cracks. But while house hunting, you do realize that you're walking into somebody's private space. And it's an odd thing so to suddenly know so much about a stranger. Their bad taste in furnishings, their obsession with cow knickknacks, their overconfidence in the power of duct tape or certain rotten presidents. Now this house, this house topped them all. It was clearly the house of someone who lived quite differently from the rest of society. Quite differently indeed the kind of house that no one would ever imagine buying because it so clearly belongs to one person and one person only in the whole wide world. Or, well, maybe two, because the house reminded Fern of her own bedroom, or at least the bedroom she was trying to create with her 10-cent yard sale books. Although it was a wonderful thing to be surrounded by books, Fern felt overwhelmed. There were so very, very many books. Her eyes darted from title to title. And weren't Fern and the Bone here to find a book? How in the world could that be possible with so very many books? Fern suddenly, deeply missed her old bedroom, and she wondered how Howard was making out and if her lichen was still growing in her closet. No, Fern decided she didn't feel at home here. It was just too much. The old woman said, first things first, an introduction. I've got your names, but what would you like me to call you? The bone looked at Fern in a way that seemed to say, I told you she was a strange one. Fern shrugged. I don't know. Oh, oh, hold on. I messed up. I'm going to go back. The old woman said, first things first, an introduction. I've got your names, but what would you like to call me? Fern shrugged. I don't know. What did your parents name you? That was so long ago. It's hard to say, really. Don't you have it written down, Fern asked. Well, why, most certainly, the old woman said, glancing around. I must have written it somewhere. Somewhere. The old woman grabbed a book off the shelf. Book, she said. She held it open and shook it. The pages flapped back and forth. Look at this. Nothing. She pulled another one off the shelf and shook it, too. Nothing ever falls out anymore. Now a giant was hard to get out. Sure, you could shake a book, a boot to loose, but it'd take a whole day to get a giant out of a book. And what to do with him once he's out? And how to get him back, even if he wants to go back. Oh, this is reminding me of when Fern was little and she, when the crickets jumped out of the book. Maybe it's because they have the same sort of power. Okay, she handed a book to the bone. Shake this one, Mr. Bibb. Go ahead. Maybe you'll have better luck. The bone shook the book and nothing came out. He handed it back to the old woman who seemed victorious, as if the bone was proving her point. See? See what I'm talking about? The little creatures used to slip right out, especially the ones who were looking for something. But aren't we all looking for something? She glanced at Fern and the Bone with a kindly twinkle in her eye. Or was it a menacing glint? Hard to say. Fern, for one, didn't know. All she knew was that the old woman wasn't making sense at all. 
Fern was getting really nervous. She didn't want to start talking. She could feel words bubbling up again. You might think I'm after something, but you'd be wrong. She tried to think of milk, as the bone had suggested. She tried to think of cheese, then soup, then lemons, apples, and plums. How about Mrs. Appleplum? We could call you that. It's a nice name. Yes, the old woman said, Mrs. Appleplum will do just fine. Tell the new guest upstairs to call me Mrs. Appleplum if you see him. He just arrived this morning with an enormous black trunk and bulky sack, and he didn't want to name me anything. He said he'd call me Ma'am, since I refused to give him a name. He's a whiskery fellow who told me that he likes his quiet and privacy. Do you all like your privacy? It sure has been a busy day here. I usually don't have any guests. And since these books are nothing but books again, after all these years, pages and bindings of glue, well, most of the little characters have run off. Except those messing in the yard, digging, digging, and a few little thieves. If something's missing, come to me straight away. The house has its little thieves. The old woman's large eyes toured the book-packed walls. She'd lost her train of thought, it seemed, or more like the train had derailed. She said, I'll get tea. The water's already hot. With this, Mrs. Appleplum limped out of the room, hunched like a question mark. Fern and the bone stared at each other. The bone looked ashen, the beads of sweat on his forehead. There are more books, Fern. I didn't think it could happen, but she's gotten more books. How will we ever find the one we need? Do you think the guest is the miser? Fern asked. Shh, the bone said. Of course he is. Gosh, I'm hot. It's hot in here like a furnace. She's gotten old, Fern, much older than ever. How could she have gotten so old? Has that much time passed? And the miser is here. This is good. Can't you see it's working, Fern said, excited that her plan was taking shape. It's like an oven in here, don't you think? Hot, hot, hot. He sighed, stuffing he sighed, stuffing one hand in the pocket of his sport coat so that his elbow stuck out, like someone in the middle of singing, I'm a little teapot. Oh, haha. If you would like to sing that whole song, go ahead. You wanna sing it? I'll just wait. Tip me over and pour me out. That was a nice little interlude. Fern kept staring at him because his nose, which had been chubby and fat and red, was shrinking. It was thinning out, narrowing to the bone's natural, naturally small nub. Your nose, Fern said. Your, your nose. The bone grabbed his nose. No, no, he said. I can't believe this. He stared up at the ceiling, chiding himself. Get it together, bone. Get it together. It's okay, Fern said. She could hear Mrs. Appleplum in the kitchen. The ping of spoons on china. Don't panic. Do you have a hanky? He nodded, pulling a crumpled one back from the back pocket of his ugly polyester suit slacks. Mr. Bibb, it turned out, shopped at low-end discount stores. Keep sneezing, Fern said. I'll distract her, and don't forget your lisp. Mrs. Appleplum walked in and served them tea. Each cup handle had a string wrapped around it with a note that read, Drink me. Maybe you know the book about Alice, a girl who fell down a rabbit hole? Well, Fern thought of her right away. The fact that... The fact that when the girl drank things labeled drink me, she shrank. Okay, you know what book she's talking about, right? Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Are you going to drink it, Mrs. Appleplum asked. Am I? I guess so. It says to drink it, said Fern. Are you afraid to drink it, Mrs. Appleplum asked. Do you mean am I afraid I'll shrink or something? Humph, Mrs. Appleplum said, a little disappointed. Well, well, I didn't know you'd pass that test. Fern had it known it had been a test. Mrs. Appleplum looked up with her bulgy fish eyes at Fern. The sign at the end of the driveway says, must be well read. 
I have my ways of finding these things out. There's nothing worse than a poor reader. And here she glared at the bone, dressed as Mr. Bibb, hiding behind his hanky. She looked at him sharply, as if maybe she knew he wasn't Mr. Bibb at all. The bone sneezed. Dust! I'm allergic to dust! The bone said, can we take the tea up to our room to drink? It's been a long day. Fine, follow me. Mrs. Appleplum led the way up the staircase, narrowed by books. The hallway was lined with books, too. Fern was dizzy by all the books. How would they ever find the one book they needed? How in the world? When they passed the first door, Mrs. Appleplum put her finger to her pink poodle bow lips to remind them that the whiskery guest preferred quiet. Fern passed by the closed door slowly. She listened hard and thought she heard a small scratching noise, then a cough, then nothing. Mrs. Appleplum opened the second door. Here's your room, one room. The two of you will have to share, she said. The room was small, book cluttered, with two single beds separated by a small nightstand. Mrs. Appleplum cleared her throat. Her eyes got a bit glassy. Used to be my daughter's room, but she's gone now. She passed away. Fern's throat cinched tight. She thought she might cry. I'm sorry to hear that, Fern said, but she said it too convincingly. She said it with too much love. Mrs. Appleplum looked at her oddly. Fern busied herself with the room. She realized she was hoping it smelled of lilacs. She remembered the bone telling her that her mother always smelled of that sweet perfume. But too much time had passed, Fern guessed. The room only smelled of books. It's a nice room, Fern said. But really, it was hard to tell if it was a nice room. It was a dark room, because books were lined up blocking the one window that would have given a nice view of the front yard, the old jalopy, the red barn, and the long driveway to the road. Fern tried not to think about it, but she couldn't help herself. This was her mother's bedroom, her mother's. On the wall facing the bed was a painting. Yes, hung in front of a wall stacked with books of a goldfish in a small pond. And she imagined that when her mother used to lie down at night, that painting is what she saw. Plump goldfish trolling the water, the lily pads, lush, purple, dreamy. Fern couldn't think about it anymore. She could feel herself wanting to blurt questions at Mrs. Plum, Mrs. Appleplum about her daughter. A million questions. Fern turned her attention to the bone. It was clear he didn't want to think about Mrs. Appleplum's daughter either. He was trying desperately to stay in character. He'd already lost his nose. He flicked the light switch off and on, a test, and wiggled the bedroom doorknob. He opened a closet door. It was bricked solid with books. He opened the dresser drawers. More books. Where will we put our clothes, he asked. On your body, of course, Mrs. Appleplum responded, as if the bone were dense. Now Fern's stomach lurched. The art of being anybody could be anywhere. What if it had fallen behind a row of books? What if it was hidden inside another bigger book? You can pay me for two weeks up front, Mrs. Appleplum said. Put the money in an envelope and leave it on the kitchen table. The bone sneezed and nodded. Mrs. Appleplum was going over house rules. No extra guests, only quick showers. Breakfast at 8 a.m., lunch on your own, dinner at 6 p.m., sharp. Always sharp. Fern started picking up books, the rules of baseball and salsa recipes. She picked up a third book off the table. It was leather-bound with no words on the cover. Maybe it's this one, she thought. She had to start somewhere. Fern turned to the first page, but no, this one was called The Official Book of Fairies. Mrs. Appleplum was still going. Watch out while walking the grounds. A fellow from the insurance company fell down a rabbit hole and was lost for some time. She stopped, glancing around the room as if she'd forgotten something. Something. Oh, and there's one more thing, she said. What was it now? What was it? Her eyes found the painting and then opened wide. 
I should say wider, since her eyes were always wide. Oh, yes, she pointed her finger in the air and then at the painting. Don't feed the goldfish, please. Fern and the bone looked around for a fishbowl. Then their eyes came back to the painting. In the painting, Fern asked? Don't feed the goldfish in the painting? Yes, Mrs. Appleplum answered. Please don't. If you do, they'll only grow used to it and forget how to take care of themselves. She turned to go, adding over her shoulder, and don't pick the lilies off the lily pad either. I like them just the way they are. Chapter 3. The Wink. She's strange, the bone said, as he affixed a bulbous fake nose from a kit he brought with him for just such an emergency of failing confidence. He was pasting and readjusting while looking into a small mirror, which stood on a dresser he'd found behind some stacked books. Sometimes I think her brain is made of pie filling. Did you notice how she just prattles on and then walks off? Odd. The whole place is strange. I warned you, didn't I? And her name is Dora. Dorothea Gretel. Why wouldn't she just use her real name? We didn't, Fern said, thinking of the name Eliza Gretel, her mother's name when she was Fern's age. Yes, well, but you know, what do you think is living in the yard? Could be anything, the bone answered. Fern pushed her suitcase against the foot of the bed. She set her tea on a stack of books on the nightstand. She glanced at the painting of the fat goldfish. She suddenly had the intense desire to reach her hand inside it, run her hand around in the water, maybe even throw breadcrumbs to the goldfish, and pick one of the lilies from the lily pads. Has it ever happened to you that you had no desire to do something until someone told you not to? Don't poke your finger in the cake, your mother tells you, and although it hadn't dawned on you to poke your finger into the cake, you suddenly want to do it desperately. This was Fern's thinking, and she was above it. I'm not above it. I'd poke my finger in the cake, and I'd try to reach into the painting. But not Fern. She's tougher than that, and she had a mission. She started pulling books off of piles. We've got to start looking. No time to waste. She picked up a safari book, a medical book, and the world of bats. This one she put in a special spot behind, beside her bed. She wanted to look at it later. She wondered if, it, wondered if she'd learned something about bats. Probably not that they could turn into marbles and indoor swimming pools, but something. The bone was pacing in the narrow alley between the beds. I want to see the other guest. I want to look him in the eye and wink. If he winks back, well, then case closed. It's him, all right. Not exactly case closed. Some people wink back if you wink at them, you know. The new guest could be an ordinary person. Didn't I tell you Fern was smart? Hmm, the bone said. Well, the wink will point us in the right direction. Fern looked around the room. She was trying to imagine her mother as a young girl, Fern's own age. Do you think my mother liked it here? The bone stopped pacing. He ran his hand over the lampshade. He sat down on the bed and placed his hand tenderly on the pillow. Yes, yes. Could she shake books? She could do much, much more. She could do almost anything. She was a wonder. He looked over at the window. I once leaned a ladder against this house, right up to that window. It was the great Ronaldo who helped me then, too. That was the other time I called on him. A butterfly appeared. It led me to the ladder and perched on my shoulder. It stayed there. Eliza appeared at the window. She climbed down the ladder with me, and the butterfly disappeared. Off we went. I saw the butterfly again just before they called me out of the prison yard. It sat on my shoulder that time, too. I thought it would be good news, but it had come to comfort me. The great Rialdo. His eyes pooled with tears, but he didn't cry. Fern gazed at the painting. She imagined how cool the water would feel. Why didn't her mother like you? Really, why? 
Even though Eliza wanted to go with me, well, her mother wanted her to stay. She had big plans for her daughter, I guess, better than settling down with a mischief-maker like me. Just then there was a loud noise, a cross between a bang and a thump, came from down the hall. It made Fern jump, but the bone didn't notice it at all. It started humming that song again. Sweet, sweet, my sweet darling. The miser, Fern said. You know, I think I should be the one to see him first, not you. You're emotional about him, and I'm not. I've never met him. Maybe I can get more information from him. He might be nice to me, polite. He might politely answer questions. The bone didn't seem to want to be pulled away from his dreaminess. I guess, he said eventually, not sounding too convinced. How about if I go open his door and tell him I thought it was the bathroom? The bone nodded cautiously. But be careful, he said. Be very careful. Fern walked out the bedroom door and down the hallway, but she stopped abruptly when she saw a man walk out of the first bedroom. He had a key and was locking his door. He was a tall, thin man with gray, bushy hair. Uh, excuse me, I was on my way to the bathroom. Do you know, she said, and the man turned toward her. He had a white beard, mustache, and enormous eyebrows that hung down over his face. In fact, she couldn't see his eyes at all, which distracted her. Did you hear a loud noise? The miser nodded. I was killing a spider with a book. Oh, he said in a whisper. I was killing a spider with a book, he said in a grim whisper. Oh, Fern said. And then because she couldn't think of anything else, she said, Mrs. Appleplum told us to tell you she wants to be called Mrs. Appleplum. Who's Mrs. Appleplum? Well, that would be Mrs. Appleplum, you know, the woman who runs the house. I'm Ida Bibb. I'm staying here with my father, Mr. Bibb, who sells encyclopedias. Very original. Thank you, Fern said, though it was obviously not a compliment. What's your name? Mr. Hazer, <laughs> Hazer Blatherness. It was obviously a fake name. She wanted to say very original, but didn't want to make him angry. What do you do, Fern asked. I'm busy. I don't have time to talk to children. He was about to leave, but then he turned back to Fern. Be careful of the spiders. The one I killed was poisonous. You wouldn't want to be bitten and die in the night. Oh my goodness, I can't believe you said that. You would never say that to a kid. No, no, Fern said, standing there awkwardly. The bathroom is in the opposite direction, he said. Thanks, Fern said, and she gave a wink, just a little quick one. But if Mr. Hazerblatherness uh, winked back, Fern couldn't see it under his enormous eyebrows. Mr. Hazerblatherness, I can't say this name. Mr. Hazerblatherness walked away, turning down the stairs. Fern, turned, Fern ran back to her room. She ran to the window, pulling down the books, and opened it wide. What happened? The bone asked. Fern didn't say a word. She looked out at the yard. Two rabbits seemed to be chatting together, um, like old friends. Was one of them wearing a blue jacket and the other white gloves? Could that be right? They hopped away as soon as the front door slammed. Mr. Hazer Blatherness marched out, cutting across the yard. Fern knew he was the miser. She just knew. Some people just know things. I'm not one of them. The first time I heard the Beatles, I said, oh, they'll never last. I thought that slogan, pork, the other white meat, would revolutionize the pork industry. I thought by now we'd be flying everywhere in motorized jet backpacks. Um, but Fern isn't like me or most people for that matter. She really can just know things. And she knew she was watching the miser. He was headed to the barn. You don't think, Fern whispered. What? The bone asked. Mr. Hazer Blatherness lifted the barn's door latch and swung open the barn's hinge doors, and there, right before him, was a solid wall of books. 
The barn was packed tight. Fern and the bone watched Mr. Hazer blatherness curse and spit, his whole body shaking with anger. He kicked the ground, his shoes pawing the dirt, until a thin cloud of dust rose up, and when it settled, the only thing standing there was an angry, snorting bull. Oh my goodness, he's definitely the miser. He just turned into a bull. Whew. Oh, I need to take a deep breath. Well, my friends, I think I'm going to stop because I've been reading to you from the hammock um, under the tree and the stars are starting to come out and it's kind of dark and I can't really see the pages anymore. So um, I'm just going to stop there and um, I'll be back and I'll read the next chapters. We are ooh, about halfway through the book, a little more than that maybe. The next chapter is called The Test. I think that has to do with Fern's grandma, who maybe probably doesn't know that she's her grandma, giving her some sort of test to see if she's a good reader. Or not a good reader, but someone who has heard a lot of stories and read a lot of stories. Like you. I know that you would pass any kind of book test because you've been listening to this whole book and other ones too. And I bet you read even when you're not with me mm-hmm. and listen to stories. I would love to see your drawings of um, Fern's grandma's house um, full of books or your house full of books or an imaginary house made of books. That would be really cool. Okay. Good night. Night, Leo. Good night, Sydney. Good night, Arden. Good night, Hazy. Good night, Sam. Good night, Charlie. Good night, Judah and Nathan and Noah and Benjamin and Julius and all the other kids. Oh, Olive and Celia and Bennett and Paisley and Poppy and... I just like to say everybody's names. It's so much fun. And Tate and Felix. Okay. And everybody. Nora and Olive. Maybe. I don't know if you're like listening to this one. I don't think Ramona is. But just in case. Good night, Ramona. All right. Love you guys. Bye.